Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Listen now for the word of God to us. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God of resurrection, meet us here in the early morning, just like you met Mary in the garden. Give us a new story to tell. Quiet the distractions within and without, and in this, your holy word, shape us into the people you had in mind at creation. Amen. So the Gospel of John was written after the accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so we can imagine that its first hearers of this Gospel were already familiar with the story of the empty tomb and the risen Jesus. So when John added detail and nuance to the experience of Peter, John, and Mary, this helped early Christians as they sought to understand more fully the impact of the resurrection. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb alone to weep, to mourn, to lament all that had happened in the past few days. Perhaps it was as peaceful and lovely as this churchyard. But Mary was full of grief, and as soon as she saw the stone rolled away, full of fear. Alone and afraid of grave robbers, she ran to get Peter and John. Peter went in, but couldn't handle it and ran away. I imagine he was ashamed by his denial, and the fact that Jesus' body was stolen was even more painful. John went in and believed, but believed primarily in the fact that the tomb was empty, because he didn't yet understand that Jesus was alive. So interestingly, the fact that the empty tomb is actually the good news, but at first glance, they all three assumed the worst. John and Peter left Mary there alone, 
now in even deeper grief than before. And as the sun began to rise, she looked inside the tomb. Surprised by the angels, they asked her, why are you weeping? Now this is an odd question to us. Of course she's weeping. Jesus had just died, a horrific death. But it's interesting because of Mary's history with Jesus. Mary, throughout time and history, has been uh, kind of painted as a sinful woman, which is not accurate. She was a healed woman. She was a prosperous woman who was a financial patron of Jesus. And so she was one of the most prominent women disciples. She had seen Jesus heal other people over and over again. And the question, why are you weeping, comes up several times in Jesus's ministry. Whenever he was about to heal someone or just a few weeks before when he raised Lazarus from the dead, the question, why are you weeping, comes up. So perhaps the angels wanted to jog something in her memory. Mary turned, saw a man she assumed to be the gardener. He also asked her, why are you weeping? Another clue, another nudge, but Mary didn't recognize Jesus' voice with those words, even though his voice must have been so familiar to her. She didn't recognize it was Jesus until he called her by name, Mary. Can we imagine the inflection, the tone, the care in Jesus' voice? It was that love and tenderness. It was the sound of her own name that brought about both revelation and recognition. Because why are you weeping points to this kind of you're wrong about what you're seeing, an argument about facts or reality, but Mary was personal. It was a relationship. And next in the text, it's inferred that Mary kind of grasps hold of Jesus as he said, do not hold on to me, and gives her the message to tell the other disciples that he is soon ascending to the Father. She runs and tells them, I have seen the Lord. As I was reflecting on this text this year, I was reminded of a quote from Mary Oliver from a poem, and it goes, which you're probably familiar with, uh, instructions for living a life, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. And I want to work through how Mary did each of those things. She paid attention. She was astonished. She told about it. Now, Mary paid attention. She was telling the truth about sorrow. She was lamenting. She was grieving. She was weeping. She didn't avoid all of that pain. And when we are afraid and bewildered and confused, it usually means something new is coming. And it is a gift to know that our sorrow and our lament is a valid pathway to revelation and recognition. She was paying attention, even when she didn't understand. She was paying attention. Mary was also astonished. And I think this is so helpful for us today because so often we think of having faith as being certain in something, as knowing something for sure. But it's actually not being certain about everything. It's an increasing comfort with the willingness to be wrong, to be surprised. Mary was willing to be wrong. She paid attention and she was astonished to find out that she was wrong. We can know it is God when we are reminded of our deepest identity, when we're reminded of the fact that we are beloved. Lament is real, but it's not the only reality, even when it feels like it. 
Uh, some of you may know that I am a parent to a young toddler, and as in the first year of a baby's life, there's a lot of research that happens about development and making sure that milestones are happening. And one of the first things that infants develop is this concept of object permanence. And you'll notice this when babies freak out when their parents leave the room, because in their minds, if they can't see an object, it no longer exists. And so as they develop, this is where kind of the game of peekaboo starts to happen, where they get to understand that even when you can't see, it's still there. And that's so interesting when we think about this story, because even when we can't see Jesus here, he's absent, the tomb is empty, he still exists in a new and different way. And part of developing our faith is practicing object permanence, is practicing the fact that God feels absent sometimes, lament is so real, but we practice the reality and the belief and the trust that it's not the only reality, that so is hope and so is life and so is love. So Mary paid attention. She was astonished. She was willing to be wrong and to be surprised. And she told about it. She said, I have seen the Lord. Now, what I love about this is that all throughout the story, the Greek word for seen or believed or understood is perceive. And there's something about the word perceive that seems like more of a process than understand. Understand is kind of like, a, okay, understand, there we go. But perception can be a gradual thing. It's something that we get more and more data as we go along and more and more understanding happens as we perceive. And one of the synonyms or understandings or definitions of perception is to grasp hold of something. And babies learn object permanence primarily by holding and grasping hold of objects and people, which I think is so interesting. They don't learn it just from looking. They learn it from touching, from holding. And so Mary grasped hold of Jesus and began to perceive and understand his object permanence. So Mary says, I have seen the Lord. I don't really understand everything about it. So much of it is confusing, but I do know that he was there. And I struggle a little bit with the end of this passage every year because it seems like the call to us is to go and tell other people that Jesus is risen. And that's true. That's part of our calling as Christians in the world. But I think we struggle sometimes to find the language for what we've experienced in our own faith lives. And it feels kind of weird to put that on someone or evangelize to someone else or just kind of in a conversation in coffee hour be like, you know what? I saw God the other day on the bus when someone was really kind to me. It's just, it's like deep and it's hard to get there, you know? And this year, what I was thinking about is that we tell ourselves stories every day about what's happening to us. We interpret events and how they're happening to us in a positive or a negative light. And when Jesus called Mary by name, she was not, he was not just calling her by name as to who she was as Mary, but when she responded to him as Rabunai, she was claiming an identity for herself. To name him teacher and not, hey, Jesus, <laughs> uh, you're a lie. This is amazing. 
put herself in the place of a disciple, which was an interesting place to be as a woman in the first century. She was changing the story that she told herself about what happened. She was no longer a woman who was grieving her dearest friend and teacher, her healer, her savior. She was a disciple of a risen Lord, of a new story, a new reality. And so I wonder if this year, when we think about the resurrection, we can imagine a new story that we tell ourselves about our lives and where we see God. It's changing the story we tell ourselves when we're thinking back about our day. It's learning to pay attention and be astonished by the small and big things that God is working for in our lives. We're called to tell the truth about the hard. We're called to grieve and lament and name that reality. We can't get to the joy without naming that. But we can practice noticing and paying attention and being astonished with the joy that we see. An example of this that I love to point to is whenever our deacons in our 1030 service pray over our congregation. Those prayers are usually written ahead of time and they sometimes can uh, incorporate the things that people have said and joys and concerns. But there's always a balance between naming what's hard and also naming these small details of joy and beauty. And it might seem small and silly, but that's where it comes from. The color of the tulips and the sun shining down the street and even this cold chill that we're in and the freshness of that air in your lungs. All of that can show us the joy and love of God if we're paying attention, if we're noticing that. Perception is a process. Object permanence is a process. And it's something that begins today. It's something that begins with the risen Lord who calls you by name, who reminds you of your identity as beloved, and who invites you to tell about it. What a gift. Amen.